0: you're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God, and we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are glad that you're here with us, so let me share this with you. So it was a few years ago that uh, my son had to have a tooth pulled. He was probably about seven at the time and he's turning 14 next week. So yeah, seven years ago. Anyway, so, but he loves, he loved when he was young telling the story because the dentist said he was braver than most of the teenagers that would come in. And so he would start off with, I'm braver than most teenagers as he would introduce himself. But anyway, uh, but they've pulled the tooth. And then afterwards he asked if he could have the tooth. And so they put it in a bag and gave it to him. And the dentist said, Xander, why do you want it? And he said, um, doctor, it doesn't matter how the tooth comes out. If it's out, I get money. And uh, so he says, because there's this big hairy tooth fairy that comes to my house that, that drops off the cash. So anyway, um, that afternoon, we had planned this trip to Orlando. He took the tooth with him because his plan was when he got to the hotel, he was going to put the tooth under his pillow at the hotel because apparently the tooth fairy would show up there. And so while they're driving, while we're driving, my daughter Mia, who's probably about 10 at the time, asks Xander why he brought the tooth. And he says, because I want to put my tooth under the pillow so the tooth fairy can give me some money. And Mia says, Xander, the tooth fairy isn't real. And he says, yeah, I know that. But dad doesn't know that. <laughs> and, uh, and Mia says, of course dad knows the tooth fairy isn't real. And he's like, Mia. And he starts whispering. And he says, I know that dad knows but dad doesn't know that we know and if the big hairy tooth fairy finds out that we know we are out of business and uh and that by the way there's something wrong in the parent-child relationship number one when they refer to you as the big hairy tooth fairy. and there's another problem when kids losing teeth they see that as a business venture built on deception and all your kids are in on it so anyway no perfect families but now for my kids Money is serious business, and and it probably is the case for you as well. Now, here's the thing that I know that's true about me, which I'm guessing is probably true for you as well. You weren't given any kind of financial education in school. You were taught helpful things like algebra, trigonometry, you know, things you're using every day. And so now, uh, but what I also know about you is that you probably weren't taught anything when it comes to money from your parents. And the reason is because they weren't really taught anything by their parents. And that lack of education has gotten us to a place where a lot of times we start making very poor financial decisions. Now, let me say this kind of at the outset, which I think is so nobody gets nervous. I'm going to talk about money for a little bit today. And uh, because of the section of scripture that we're in, now if you don't know anything about Calvary or you're newer, let me just tell you that one of the things we do at Calvary is that we just work our way through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and this is where we are. And so that's why we're going to talk about it. And uh, so... If you've been with us in our series in the book of Acts, we've been working our way through. So this isn't like an out of the blue money talk. The other thing is if you're new at Calvary or if you've been here for a while and just want to know what our approach is, uh, here's one thing you can be sure of. We never manipulate people to give. We never try to guilt people into giving. Um, And and the more astute among us have already noticed that we don't pass a plate. Uh, That's just not our style. And so we have boxes in the back if you want to give and you decide. And so... Uh, because, you know, and I, we've all seen this. Like, if you watch Christian television, which is neither Christian nor television. Um, and so, they'll, you know, it's like, you know, the music will come on. And then, um, you know, they'll start passing the plate. Then the pastor will come around. He'll take off his glasses. He'll come around from the pulpit. And then suddenly he develops like the southern accent. Brothers and sisters, our ministry won't survive without your support. And so we don't do that. Even though I guess I just did it. But that was just more for illustrative purposes. So. But anyway, instead, here's our style. Our style is is we teach you what the Bible says about giving, and then you decide whether you're going to obey the Bible or not. That's your call. But one of our guiding principles, one of the just most important passages for me as far as how we do ministry, is in the book of 2 Corinthians, where it says this, that each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The other thing is, is that if you're here and you are maybe someone bribed you with lunch like come to church please i'll buy you lunch and you're like well i'll do anything for free lunch and so you came to church you're not even a christian here's the good news this message doesn't even apply to you so you can just relax And, and then if you want to look at the christians around you squirm that might be a little interesting and and entertaining um and let me say this, too, because if you brought someone, and I, every time I, I'll teach on giving, and we don't teach, I mean, maybe like once or twice a year, we'll talk about this as we're going through the Bible, but it, there'll always be this thing, because um, whenever someone invites someone to church, they'll catch me in the lobby before and like, hey, Pastor Bob, this is my friend. I invited them to church for the first time. And, and like, I, I get it. You're sending me a coded message. <laughs> like, and, and, so, and, and that is, this is my friend who I've been praying for and inviting for months do not screw this up. So that's what you're telling me under, hey, this is my friend. I wanted you to meet them. So anyway, and you're like, I can't believe after all I've prayed and tried to get my friend to come, you're going to talk about this today. Now let me just share this. This is important. Is that? Um, and some people say, like, this is the worst. I believe this is the best message in the world to, to attend for the very first time. Because if you can handle this, you're going to love everything else we talk about. And, uh, and, and the other thing that's cool is that you're also going to find out why giving matters. And why it's, it's so important for us to have the right heart when we talk about these things. And so you, can, you might walk away and say, man, I'm not a Christian uh, yet, but I, do, I get this now. I do understand why giving should be a priority for Christians. Because listen, when a, when a Christian finds the joy in giving and gives with the right heart, that not only becomes a person who can be entrusted with greater resources and responsibility, they just start living a fuller life. And that's anybody, you talk to anybody who's generous, who's a Christian, they're going to tell you that very same thing. So we're, going to, we're at the, kind of the tail end of the, of the book of Acts chapter 4. So can I give you the 15 second previously on uh, to tell you kind of what happened? In Acts chapter 3, which is two messages ago, Peter and John were going into the temple to the hour of prayer. They saw a guy who had been lame for over 40 years. That is, he couldn't walk. Peter and John pray for the guy. He's healed. Starts jumping up and down. People start going crazy uh, that this guy had been healed. He's, uh, Peter starts preaching about the resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus and how people can come to know him. And uh, lots of people come to know Jesus. Right around that time, Peter and John are arrested by the temple police. They're put under guard. The next day they come out, they have to answer to the Sanhedrin, which is like the equivalent of the Jewish Supreme Court, for what it is that they were preaching about the resurrection. They preach in such a way and respond to the uh, accusations that the the ruling council is like, there's nothing we can do. It's an amazing miracle that's happened. We're just going to threaten them not to preach anymore. So they threaten them, get out of here, but if you preach again, we're going to arrest you and whatever. And then and they go back to their friends, and they, and they just start praying that God, not like, God, how would you let this happen? And instead, they start praying, saying, God, give us more boldness to preach. And the place where they were praying was shaken at, at the power of, and then it says that God filled them with the Spirit, And that's where we left off in verse 31. So here's where verse 32 comes in in Acts chapter 4. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and neither did any say that they had things that he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, A Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. If you pause there and give me your attention, three things that we're going to look at today. The first is this, is that giving is a reflection of God's generosity. Now, there's a little bit of a play on words that's happening here that you can't see in English, but it's uh, it's really quite clever in in the Greek language. It, It starts in Verse 31 where it says that all the believers, uh, when they prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word filled is this Greek word plethos, that, where we literally get our English word plethora. And so there is this expansion that's happening, even in them, where they're filled with the Spirit. Luke uses that same word when it says in verse 32, now the multitudes who believe, it's the same word, plethos, that refers to there is this filling. There was a growth that was taking place. And what's important is, is that Luke, with using these two words, is connecting. The filling of the Holy Spirit with boldness in preaching, he's connecting it to their generous giving. So the preaching that was happening externally was evidenced by what was happening internally through their generosity towards each other. Now, if you weren't with us at an earlier study, we talked about this at the end of chapter 2 of the outrageous generosity of the early believers. And by the way, this isn't just the Bible that's telling us this. Outside sources tell us this as well. There was a Roman emperor, an early Roman emperor named Julian, uh, who just hated Christianity. And one of the things that he wanted to do was revitalize uh, all of the pagan religions and really see that come to prominence again. So he persecuted Christians, hoping that that would cause uh, the, the the swell of the Christian faith to wane so that he could uh, see, once again, the growth of these, these pagan movements again. And every time that he persecuted Christians and tried to push the pagan religions, Christianity just kept expanding. And so he was so frustrated that he wrote a letter to one of his friends about this that has survived antiquity. I just want to read two sentences from this letter that, he, that Julian writes. He says, their success lies in their charity to all. They take care not only of their own poor, but ours as well. The th- one of the things that differentiated Christians from everybody else was their attitude towards and how they used money. Generosity was built into, it was baked into Jewish culture. Tithing, that is giving God the first 10% of whatever we make, was part of the Old Testament law. That was commanded. That was part of what was happening. But what's important is, and this is the thing that's important to note, the question that sometimes we ask is, I understand the command, but why? I mean, is it because God needs the money? Is God broke? Is heaven in foreclosure? Is that, is that what's, what's happening? No, it's not. We, God, we're commanded to give because it's good for us to give. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, you'll see it in your notes, it says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life because there is something that happens every time we give. Every time we give, we give away part of our selfishness. Every time we give, we give away part of our self-centeredness and we start putting others first and certainly God first. But then the question becomes, okay, but but why does God care about us being generous or not? I mean, why is this an area of concern? And here's why. Because God knows this. And by the way, you know this too. That generous people have way more joy than greedy people. I mean, think about this. Think about your own life. And you know some generous people. And you also know some greedy slash stingy people. Who's happier? Right? Who has more joy in their lives? And by the way, have you noticed, it doesn't matter who has more wealth, who has more income. Uh, It's Why? And and the challenge is, is that a lot of times we don't see ourselves as greedy or stingy. You know, I've been a pastor for about uh, 25 years. And you know that I've never had anyone in 25 years come into my office and say, pastor, I need to talk to you and sit down and say, my problem is I'm greedy. Like never, because no one sees themselves as greedy. They just see it as, well, if I just had more, I would be generous. The problem is, is that like we said that five years ago. And maybe now there's more, and we're still not more generous, because that's just what happens. If we don't organize our lives around generosity, we will spend all of it on ourselves and be unable to be more generous in our giving. And the reason, And what happens is is that we're the ones who miss out. The Apostle Paul, when he was leaving the city of Ephesus, and he knew he was going to see the Ephesian, he, he knew he wasn't going to see these Ephesian leaders again, he, he, they, they follow him to this city called Miletus, and we're, we'll talk about this when we get to Acts chapter 20. But when they're, he, he, he gives them like this little mini sermon, little encouragement on their way out. But one of the things that he says in, in Acts 20, verse 35, he says, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And here's what I know. If you've been around uh, this planet long enough, you know that that's just the case, that it's just more blessed to give than it is to receive. A couple of years ago, my wife called me because she was on her way to Whole Foods to go grocery shopping and got a flat tire on Pines Boulevard. And I saw that as a sign from God, like maybe the Lord doesn't want you at Whole Foods and uh, (laughs) let's, let's do something else, you know. And so anyway, but she says, I got a flat tire. I said, no problem. I'm on my way. I was here at church. So I get in the car. While I'm in the car, I call the tow people, and I'm like, hey, can you come and plug a tire? And so when I get there, and this is around the time that they were doing tons of construction on I-75, so the thing that Carrie, I mean, it looked like a tool that got, that got run over, but the tire was just destroyed, and I said, like, look, there's no plug in this. So I said, look, why don't you take my car, go grocery shopping, I'll change the tire, and then I'll take it over to the, the tire place down the street, and I'll get it, I'll get it swamped out. And, and let me tell you something, I, she's like, you would do that for me? Of course I would do that for you. And so she went to Whole Foods and, you know, we had to take a second mortgage to pay the bill. And, um, and so, and, and then um, I fixed the tire and I was the hero of my home that day and henceforth. And I'm telling you that it was this incredible thing. I, we, we, this wasn't that long ago that we drove down Pines and she's like, do you remember right here? This is the place where you saved me. When I had the flat tire, I'm like, I, I do remember and let's, let's memorialize this area right here. And, uh, and so... But you know, can I tell you something that it brought me so much joy to do it for her? And yet I have had no joy plugging tires of my own. When we were building this building, um, I, I mean, I was here every day for the construction of this building. I must have blown a tire at least, I would say at least, but at least once every other month. I had a flat tire because I ran over a screw or I ran over, uh, you know, some anchor or a nail or whatever. And so, and I'm back, I've just kept going to the same place. And Hey, you want to join our rewards program? (laughs) You know what? I probably should. And so, but listen, it's amazing to me that the act of doing something, right? Something generous for someone that you love brings so much more joy than doing it for yourself. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that's why the chapter ends when we see this. And there's a point why Luke puts this here because of what's going to happen that we're going to read next. But the chapter ends with this extravagant gift of this guy named Joseph um, or Barnabas is his nickname that he gives, he sells a piece of property and he takes all the proceeds and just gives it to the, the apostles for the work of ministry that's taking place. Now, there's a couple things to note that are important if you're a Bible student. Barnabas will feature prominently in the second half of the book of Acts. So once we get to about chapter 11, we're going to hear a lot about Barnabas. So this is Luke's introduction to Barnabas so that we'll know who he is later on. The second thing is it says that he's a Levite, which means that he's from the priestly tribe and he's doing um, priestly duties in the temple when it's, it's his turn uh, to do it. But he's from the area of Cyprus. Now, if you're an Old Testament student, which I would hope that you would be, and if you're not, And even if you are, you should come to our Wednesday night teachings that we're doing on Understanding the Old Testament. We are, this is like 35,000 feet, over, um, and we just finished the, the Torah. We're going to take all the historical books. And um, so, by the way, you know how people say, I wish, you know, the Bible talks, I can't believe the Bible. I can't believe can't be a Christian because the Bible t- talks about genocide. We're talking about that this weekend and that it's not what you think. And, um, but anyway, we'll have a good discussion on that. And one of the things we've been doing is all these like random Old Testament passages that people bring up and you're like, eh, how do I answer that? We're trying to take on all of that on Wednesday night. My point is this, there's nothing good on TV. Come to church on Wednesday night. You're going to love it. So, my point, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So, thank you. Wow, I'm really, I'm really moved. Thank you. No, <laughs> thanks. So, but if you're an Old Testament student, you'll say, hold on, but I thought the priests weren't allowed to own property. Uh, and it's true. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, we're told that, and, and in a couple of other places, that the priests weren't given an inheritance in the land of Israel. And so it, it says, instead, God says that uh, he himself will be their inheritance. And so that is true. However, there is no prohibition against Levites owning land outside of Israel. And so Barnabas owns a piece of property on the island of Cyprus. He sells it and then generously gives it to the work of ministry. Now he's called the son of encouragement, which by the way, I just think as far as nicknames go, that is a great nickname. And you know what that means? That he wasn't just someone who was generous with his finances. He was also generous with his words. He was generous with his time. He cared about people. And so Luke wants to show us the power of the picture of this guy who's generously giving. He's given from a good heart with a proper motive. And then he's taking that because he's going to juxtapose it with something that at the outset looks very similar, but is very different. So look at what happens in chapter 5 in verse 1. It says but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet but Peter said Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself while it remained was it not your own after it was sold was it not in your your own control Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. If you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing, if you're a note taker, is that giving is a response to God's grace. Now, this seems pretty extreme, At first, I mean, this couple, couple, they give some money. There's like a dispute over a receipt, and then somebody drops dead. And it's like seemingly by supernatural causes. Now, and that's why there's a reason why Luke puts the Barnabas story right before this one. And it's because what Barnabas gave was this beautiful moment of generosity and love. And then Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of property and give some of the money. Now, let's, let's take this step by step. Ananias and Sapphira own a piece of property. Nothing wrong with that. Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of property. Nothing wrong with that. Ananias and Sapphira decide, hey, we should give some money to the church. Nothing wrong with that. It's like, okay, why is somebody dead? And this is is part of the issue. The, The issue is in what happens at what we see in verse two. It says that they kept back part of the proceeds. The word literally, the Greek word literally means they embezzled it. Now, Uh, That is the illegally kept part of it. Now, one of the questions you should be asking is, how can you illegally keep your own money? Like, how could it be illegal to keep what's yours? I mean, then you should ask the government that same question, right? (laughs) Apparently, it's very possible you can actually go to jail for keeping too much of your own money. And that's, okay, that's enough I'm going to say about that because (laughs) I don't want people to hear things. And then next thing you know, I'm doing prison ministry from the inside. And so anyway... Now, the problem here was not in the gift. The problem wasn't in their decision to give or not give. The problem here was hypocrisy. The problem was they said we gave all, this is all the money we made from the land. But then, but it really wasn't true. And this this is just further pushed in verse four when Peter says to Ananias, wasn't this land yours to begin with? Well, yeah. Yeah. And after you sold it, all the money, wasn't it yours to control? Well, yeah. So Peter's saying it's not about the gift. It's that you're misrepresenting the gift. You're telling people, you're telling everybody, oh, I'm giving all of it, but you really kept part of it back. By the way, if they had given part and kept part and said, hey, this is some money we want to give to the church, and then we got some other money that we're doing something else with, nothing wrong with that. The problem was because there's no command in the Bible if you're looking for it, like, so if I sell a piece of property, i got to give all the money? No command about that. And if I, if I sell it, can I keep it? Yeah, give your tithe and the rest is yours. But listen, the sin is not in the amount. The sin was in the lying, the misrepresentation, and the hypocrisy. They were acting like they had given the whole amount when really they had only given part. Now, why is that a big deal? And this is really, this is the key to understanding this. Why is it a big deal? And by the way, when Ananias falls over dead, some people look on and think like, man, that's too harsh. I don't know if I can believe Christianity if someone, they just, someone just makes a mistake and then they fall over dead. And by the way, these are the same people who are something terrible happens. And like, you know, you don't find out until later what went on. And like, I, I don't know if I can believe in Christianity if something didn't happen. Uh, or I am like, well, okay, you can't have it both ways. If you're upset that something happened, you can't be upset if nothing happened. And so you don't get to pick. But a lot of times, people, they just want to make an excuse, and I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Now, but let me tell you what's, what's important, okay? And this is why this story is so powerful. I mentioned this in the opening, that at the end of chapter 4, the, the disciples, the apostles, are being threatened and persecuted. You cannot speak in this name anymore. The problem is, is that when the attack was from outside, it just made the church stronger. And they were filled with boldness, filled with the Spirit, and they were going to do more preaching. And so now what happens? But we we have an enemy named the devil who is always looking and waiting and trying and always plotting. And if he can't mount an effective attack from without, he will try an attack from within. And let me tell you something. This attack from within has been the plague of the church. And this is why you talk to some non-Christians and you know, you ever notice people don't non Christians don't have a problem with Jesus? They're like, man, Jesus, he's great. Um, and then, but the, what they have a problem with is Christians who don't act a lot like Christians. And that's why we've heard that. Oh, do you go to church? No, man, I don't go to church. The church is full of. You've heard, have you heard it? Yeah, hypocrites. We've all heard it. And what is it? And by the way, I don't totally agree with that with that assessment. I think that could be said about any any group. But the point is, I think the point that's taken is this. Here's what unbelievers are looking for. They just want Christians to act like Christians. Because if you and I were there that day, if you and I were there that day, we would have seen Barnabas' gift and be like, man, that is wonderful and beautiful and right. And then we would have seen Ananias and Sapphira. And look, they gave to it. It was wonderful and beautiful. Everything seemed right on the outside. But internally, something else was taking place. Now, a couple of years ago, I had this... uh, palm tree. I had a couple palm trees in front of my house. And um, then these woodpeckers showed up and the woodpeckers decided to make the palm tree their home. They made their means of ingress and egress and they had a whole thing going. And then they started doing their woodpecker thing even inside of the palm itself. So they kind of hollowed it out and they were living there. And I was telling my wife, like, we got to get rid of these uh, woodpeckers and she's like, oh, but the woodpeckers are so nice, and I'm like, all right, whatever. And so then I just forgot about it um, until the bees moved in. The bees showed up and evicted the woodpeckers. And by the way, there was no notice. There was no three months of eviction. There was no court hearing. It was just, you're out, and that's it. And so, and then so then the bees had full on started this giant colony. It was like New York City inside the palm tree in, in my house. So it's starting to get out of control. So I call this tree trimmer and I'm like, look, I got to cut down this palm. He gets there and, and he's like, what's wrong with the palm? I'm like, it's not a big deal. The palm's filled with bees. Let's just get it out. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I got a little bee situation. No big deal. And he's like, no, I can't do this until you take care of the bees. And I'm like, come on, man. What's the worst that could happen? And i never forget this. I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? He said one word. Worst that could happen, death. That was his answer. And I'm like, okay, that seems pretty strong. And so, so, then, <laughs> so then I call a guy at church that's like a bee guy. And I tell him what's going on. He's like, all right, pastor, I'll be at your house. So I coordinate with our church bee guy with then... My non-church tree guy, and then we we get together, and uh, now let me show you. Let me show you the the the, the 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 the. Okay, these are the palms, right? Everything looks normal, and by the way, this is the palm that is totally. This is the bee colony, and so this is like a thirty-foot palm that we're that we're that we're dealing with here. So the bee guy who is also a beekeeper, and he's like, look, I can't. Um, I'm not going to be able to. Get all these bees out. I have to neutralize the bees. So he puts like this smoke in there that neutralizes all of the bees and I don't know, puts them in some kind of coma type state. And then the tree guy then cuts down the tree. The the, 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 the tree guy takes then a chainsaw and he cuts not like this way, but he cuts uh, this way when the tree is kind of cutting the tree in half the long ways. And this is what he finds inside. This is one small section. It was the entire tree that this was going. And so I'm talking to the bee guy and the tree guy, and both of them said, so I tell to the, the bee guy, um, how many bees were in here? And he says, it's probably like 80,000 bees that were in here. And he says, if we hadn't neutralized uh, the bees, it would have killed someone. And, uh, and, and, and listen, you can take that away. Or nobody's going to pay any attention to me. Um, now, whoa, what's going on with the bees? And so now, here's the point. Everything on the outside looked the same. And yet there was something internally that was gonna kill everything it touched. And this is what happened. Listen, you know, Ananias is a believer. I, I believe um, that, that, you know, he made a terrible mistake, but I believe he's a believer. I think that we're gonna see Ananias uh, in heaven one day. I don't think he'll be involved in real estate, but <laughs> was it too soon? I don't know, I can't tell. And so anyway, but now, but here's the thing. If you read church history, one of the things that you'll find is that the church, when you think when there's persecution of the church, the church has always thrived during persecution. That was never the church's greatest danger. The greatest danger for the church was always when the church was successful and things were going well, and we started to forget the holiness of God. Ananias just stares a little. You know, he sells the property, he's got the money, and he's, hey, we're just going to give it. And Do we need to really give all of it? We'll give like half of it. I mean, but even half of it. I mean, you know, you got to, there's like transportation costs. And then, you know, I had to call the guy, the notary, you know. And then, you know, there's that stamp tax. You know, what's that all about? And, and then it's like, well, you know, so then, it's, then he just kind of keeps staring at it. And the more he stares at it, the more that, he, that compromise starts working in. And by the way, that's how it works for you and for me, right? Maybe I'll, I'll ask this. If, if you're willing to be honest, right? How many of you have ever been on like a diet, eating plan, something where you got to change your ways? All right nine people in this church. All right. And then a lot of liars. Okay. Very good. So now, now here's the thing, but here's what I also know. I also know that if you've started a plan, maybe you've had a time where you fell off the wagon, but you know, nobody decides one day that they're going to fall off the wagon. It just kind of happens, right? And you're like, I don't even know what, I had no intention. And I'm telling you, it, just, it you just, you just, you woke up planning on doing everything right. You ate the right breakfast. You exercised. Then someone called me, like, hey, you know, it's so-and-so's birthday. Like, I didn't know, man. That's great. I'm going to reach out to them, tell them happy birthday. We're doing a thing at Cheesecake Factory. Why don't you come? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I got to eat lunch somewhere. And so then you decide you're going to go to Cheesecake Factory. And you're like, you know, I'm just, I'll just have a, 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 you know, a salad and a water because, you know, I can't have any joy. And so... <laughs> And, you know, you're just there. And, like, what you really want is the Linda's fudge cake that they, prominently dis- that they prominently display. And that's 1,300 calories per slice. And it is a gateway to all the evils that you're trying to avoid. But, you know, once again, you're not having that. You're just having your salad. And then even when they bring the bread out, they're like, oh, do you, which bread do you like? You want the white bread or the brown bread? And, and by the way, just FYI, I am team brown bread for sure. And so... My kids, let me tell you something about, and this is, these are just imperfections in parenting, but my kids are like massively team white bread. And, on a, a, just, and I am like, yeah, yeah, you guys just, it's so much better. You have that, I guess I'll just have the brown bread, you know. And it's just like, eat that garbage. I'm brown bread all the way. Anyway, so here's what happens. So, you, but you're eating, your, you're not even eating bread. You're having salad and water anyway. And then they're like, hey, it's so-and-so's birthday, and we're all going to get desserts. And they're like, well, I'm not going to get a dessert. I'll just I'll have a refill on this water and eat some ice chips. And, uh, you know, so then you're, you're having that. And then someone, as fate would have it, the person next to you orders the Linda's fudge cake. And you're like, I can't even look at it. So you turn your chair. Like, they're here, but you're just, I'm talking to this person and the wall. And, that's, and you're just talking to them. And then, and, 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 and then you know, you're living your life and then someone calls you your name you're like hey what's up and then boom your eyes lock you see linda's fudge but more importantly linda sees you she starts staring through you and you just and you start looking at it and you know it's not just a look like oh yeah that's a piece of cake you're like oh now i know what it means to be in love and you're like you start staring at all the chocolate chips on the outside and 19, 20, 21. You're counting all the chocolate chips. You start staring at that perfect amount of ganache that they put on top of it. And then you start, you're like, wow, it's, it's chocolate cake and then chocolate fudge and chocolate cake and chocolate fudge and, and that just all the little whipped cream around it. And you're like, wow, this is, can life be any better than this? Will you marry me? You know, and and you're... This is where you're at. And then the server comes over and says, hey, I put these down. And I brought an extra spoon just in case someone wants to try. That lady's not in your corner. And so, and you're just not even looking. You're in a trance. And then you just, you come out of the trance and you got chocolate all over your face. You've lost a friend because you ate their cake without their permission. And this, listen, let me tell you something. This is my point, and this is Peter's point. It was never about the money. You see, they just—they were staring at it and thinking about it. And do we or don't we? I mean, come on. Do we need to? Do we have to? Should we? Can we? And the thing—this is the problem—is that um, hypocrisy keeps us from living the authentic lives that God created us to live. You know, in the ancient world, people saw things as one of two things. They either saw it as hypocritical or sincere. That's it. In, in um, the word "hypocrite." that we use, comes from a Greek word, hupokritus. That word comes out of the Greek theater, where you, um, a hupokrete, a hypocrite, was someone in the Greek theater that wore a mask, and they played a role. So if you went to the theater, and, and this person, you saw a play, you would walk up to the, the actor, and you would say, you are the biggest hypocrite I have ever met in my entire life. And they'd be like, thank you so much. I work hard at my craft, right? Because being a hypocrite was a compliment. That it's like you are pretending to be someone else. But see, now, of course, we understand the other meaning and how when we interpret it in the Bible, that it's about not being the real you. It's about pretending to be something that you're not. Instead of being hypocritical, what we're challenged to be is sincere. In the book of Philippians, Paul describes this a little bit. Look at what he says. He says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. And let me tell you what that doesn't mean. You know, people like, they write sincerely or they're so sincere. I just love how they mean everything. That's not what sincere means. Sincere in the Greek language is a word that, that meant this. Sincere means this, no wax. What in the world does that mean? So you and I go to a stonemason because we're doing, we watched whatever show was the uh, first century version of Fixer Upper. And we're like, we're going to redo our house. And the one of the things we're going to do is put a statue in our front yard. Okay. We're going to put a statue in our front yard, inside our house, whatever. We would go to the stonemason. We would pick the, sta- uh, the, 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 the type of um, stone that we wanted to use. We picked marble, let's say. And then we just said, this is what we want the scene to look like or the person or whatever. And then we would go home and we would get word that it was done. And we'd go back to the stonemason and we would simply ask one question when we were there. When we saw it, we would say, is it sincere? Does it have no wax? Why is that important? Because sometimes when a stonemason was chipping away at the marble, they would start chiseling the face, right? They're chisel, 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 and the nose comes clean off. Well, what they would do is instead of just throwing away the entire piece of stone and starting over, which is incredibly costly, instead what they would do is they would take a piece of stone and they would grind it down and they would take some wax and they would mix it together and they would fashion it into the nose and and they would pop it back on, sand it down, and nobody's any the wiser at least until you take your statue home. You put it in your front lawn, and you're just watching it in the morning as the sun comes up. And then the sun comes up, the day gets hot, and now the, the wax starts to melt off of your statue. You want to talk about a runny nose. That's what would happen in your front yard. And, and so when you were asking if things were sincere, you were saying this, is anything here fake? And why does, so why, are, why is Paul telling us in this passage that, He wants our love to be sincere. Because it can't be love if it's not real. It can't be love if you're hiding behind a mask. It can't be love if you're pretending to be someone else. Because for love to be real, we have to be real. The person that we love has to be real. And if there is insincerity or wax, it will hinder the relationship. And this is the issue that is being brought up in Acts chapter 5, that the insincerity and the hypocrisy is what was killing them from the inside. And look what happens. Look at verse 7. This is where we're going to bring it to a close. It says this, Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. And then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And then young men came in, found her dead, carrying her out, buried her by her husband. And so great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Okay, pause there. By the way, this has gotta be the weirdest church service ever, right? In the first century. Hey, what'd you learn at church today? I don't know, but two people dropped dead during the offering. and, uh, And then the young guys buried them it was, a, it was crazy. And uh, so we'll see what happens next week, you know. And so, so last thing in your notes is that giving is a responsibility for God's people. Sapphira's story and Ananias are a powerful reminder of how hypocrisy and compromise destroy everything it touches. And can I tell you this? Do you know that God did not create us that way? God created us to live with integrity because everything that God creates, he creates with integrity. Integrity is a word that comes from integer. What is an integer? It's a whole number. Integrity as a Christian means that we are an example of the life that we offer. So if we tell someone far from God that Jesus can change their life, here's the hope that our life had changed as well. Because everything that God creates, he creates with integrity. Let me explain it this way. Um, I went to Publix the other day and I bought some bananas. But here's what you can also know to be true. And I I realized this. do you know that you and I have never really bought bananas? We've really only bought banana peels because you've never checked. Like, hey, are you going to you buy some bananas? Yeah, but may, open a couple. Make sure the banana's inside. I don't want to have a situation like last time. Right? You've never had that. Every time you've bought bananas, you have assumed that the actual banana is inside. Why? Because everything that God creates, he creates with integrity. Anybody want a banana? <laughs> There you go. Welcome. Enjoy. Oh, you can have one too. All right. Who else wants one? I want something. I want to show some range. All right. Here we go. There you go, Jonathan. Enjoy. Oh, intercepted. Who wants a banana? All right. All the way in the back. Here we go. Don't hit the lights, please. All right. Go. Almost a good catch. Wow. All right. I got to stop monkeying around. Um, why? Everything God creates, He creates with integrity. Now, let me explain it this way. All right. Who likes watermelon? All right. Now, my wife taught me this because I didn't know anything until I met my wife. And, um, and so how I won her over is still a mystery to me. Um, all I knew was how to be a musician, which I think was the key, although it bothers her when I say that. So my wife taught me this trick of how you know a watermelon is ready. Because apparently there is a life cycle of watermelons. I don't know. I don't like watermelon. Um, and people are like, I can't believe you don't like watermelon? I'm like, no. Have you ever tried a Twinkie? <laughs> Way better. Way better than a watermelon. Anyway, um, but she said this. You guys probably know. How do you know when a watermelon's ready? You knock on it. And what's the sound? Okay. All right. Let's talk about that for a second. You're, you guys are an intelligent group. And you're telling me, you know the watermelon is ready when you knock on it and it sounds empty. Isn't that crazy? And yet nobody's ever thought that because we recognize something that everything that God creates, he creates with integrity. So if it's advertising it on the outside, you can be certain that it's happening on the inside. And do you know that that's how God wants to grow people? All right, who, who wants us? No, I'm messing around. I'm messing around. If you're bold enough, you can come pick it up after. Um, I ain't eating a watermelon. So... If it was a box of Twinkies, you couldn't have it, but anyway. Now, but this is why, listen, God wants to build people who externally are reflecting what's happening internally, and my friends, this is why compromise is so toxic, because it ruins your, not only does it ruin your joy and um, your ability to, to, to see God do a work in your life, it also ruins your ability to be light in, in the lives of people who are far from God, because compromise at its core is distrusting God. So what does it mean when we talk about living with integrity? It means that what's happening internally is really what we're sharing externally. When it comes to giving, it means that we want to be generous because we preach a God who is generous to us. One of the passages I, I love in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor, that through his poverty, we might become rich. And I I just, I, I love that. When you and I understand the gospel, we can't help but be generous because of how incredibly generous God has been with us. And so then, so let me close with this real quick. How do we begin the journey of generosity and take steps to becoming more generous? Three things. Number one, if you're a note taker, Become a priority giver. That means you give to God before anybody else. You can really only do five things with money. You can spend it, pay taxes, repay debt, save it, or give it. And we usually do it in that order. We spend it on what we want. We give Uncle Sam his cut, pay Visa the minimum, save what we can, and say, God, I wish I had more. And here's what priority giving does. Priority giving flips that and says, God, I'm putting you first because I trust you. Listen, some of us are believers and we don't give anything, we got to fix that. Uh, Some of us have a greater uh, financial commitment to Disney Plus than we do with God's church. And listen, we got to be more committed to God's kingdom than the magic kingdom, for sure, if we're Christians. Here's the second one, is become a percentage giver. That is become a believer who tithes. And listen, I'm telling you, I wish I could do this for you. Because of what I've seen God do in my life and in the lives of other people. And by the way, this is not one of those, if you give, you're going to be a millionaire. No. In fact, I'm going to say this. You probably aren't going to be a millionaire. But here's what you can have. You're going to have the thing that's been eluding you. Peace and confidence that God is going to provide. But I will tell you this. God, you trust God. God has this ability to make tires last longer. Vacations cost cheaper. Homes sell quicker and jobs pay better. And because that's what happens when you put God first and you give him 10 and he says, hey, I'm gonna take, make the 90 stretch further than the 100 ever could without my blessing. Now, I know for some people that sounds like, I would love to do that, there's just no way. My life isn't organized like that. Well, you've gotta take some practical steps to get there. On the back of your connection card, it says, send me info on. Uh, on the back, the first one says, Financial Peace University. This is not something that, Uh, We host it, but Dave Ramsey and his team are the ones who teach it. But this is a course designed to help you get your financial world in order. And if you're thinking, I can figure it out myself, it's okay, everybody has debt. Listen, I told you this in the beginning that most of us were not given financial education in school, and we weren't taught how to deal with financial issues by our parents. But let me tell you the biggest obstacle that I've seen, and we've been running this class for a few years now at Calvary, the number one obstacle to Financial Peace University. Here it is, you may want to write it down. It's pride, it's pride. People think, ah, oh, I should know this already. I already know some of that stuff. They're not gonna teach me anything new. And, I, and I'm, look, I'm, I'm X number of years old, I should know that already. How are, you, how are you gonna know that if no one taught it to you? Listen, I believe, I believe one of the things that brings joy in life is humility and curiosity humble curious people i'm telling you are living better than everybody else because we're just learning and we're just we're not proud proud people aren't learners proud people think they know everything that's why they can never get out of the rut that they're in don't be too proud get everything everything a to z in finances And you're like oh, it's gonna be 10 weeks on giving first of all it's nine weeks i'm gonna tell you a little secret the the the, the week on giving is the very last one but if you want to, like, I want, I want my kids to go, uh, to go to college without taking loans, then you need this class. I want to know what kind of insurance to have um, so that if anything happens to me, um, I'm covered. You need this class. You say, I want to get out of debt and, and just, you know, say, you know, goodbye to all these credit cards. You need to take the class. Last thing, and then we're done. And that is become a progressive giver. Here's what that means. That means we want to be people who gave a little more this year than we did last year. Listen... A person marked by generosity is one of the hallmarks of Christianity. And listen, I'm telling you, some of us, some of us are suffering right now, even in our relationships and our marriages, because of financial pressure. And I'm telling you, um, this is all very treatable. This is all very curable, and it's time to be free of all that pressure. It's time to, to, for us as a couple to say we're gonna trust God and then watch how God honors that decision. But at at the end of all this, the story, this story is a matter of the heart. On the outside, everybody looked the same, but inside there was something toxic that needed to be dealt with. One guy gives and it's a beautiful moment. Another couple gives and it only brings death because God wants us not just to deal with the action. Remember what we said that a person gives what they not out of compulsion? God loves a cheerful giver. This was the issue with Ananias and Sapphira. It's just, just there wasn't cheerful. They were giving because they wanted the crowd to think that they were something. No, we got get we got to get to the heart of our compromises so that we can be free. You know what the best part is? Is that you and I get to decide who we want to be in the story. Is that we can be the people who compromise and our future dies over what seems to be an accounting problem, but it's really a heart problem. Or we can be Barnabas who plays a huge role in the church. Can I give you a little sneak preview, 10 seconds? In a few chapters, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, is going to give his life to Jesus and be saved. The guy who persecuted and killed Christians. He becomes a Christian, but no Christian will touch him. They're all nervous because they think we're glad he's a Christian, but he might be some undercover operative for the Jewish leaders. And so they keep him at arm's length. And in Acts chapter 11, it's Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who seeks out Paul, brings him into the fold, and got him to start teaching. And if you've ever read any of Paul's 13 epistles in the New Testament, then you have been directly affected and blessed by the son of encouragement's encouragement of Saul of Tarsus. You and I can be someone's Barnabas if we will live with integrity. And I'm telling you, it is the best possible way to live. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that, for that reality, that promise. Lord, we want to be people of integrity. Lord, we know we're not perfect. But we want to be people who are striving to do better, to know you more, to obey you, and to experience the blessing that comes from walking with you. So, Lord, help us. Help us in that. We want to be sons and daughters of encouragement to the people that we know and love and come into contact with that you ultimately would be honored. And we prayed in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.